Ian Power back with you and Carson Arthur, who's in studio with me today, an international landscape designer with a focus on environmentally friendly design. His HGTV series, Critical Listing, teaches homeowners how to raise the value of their home through outdoor renovations. You may not only recognize his work on TV, he's also an accomplished writer, author, and spokesperson. Carson represents Canada as the international ambassador for Save the Children. His expertise in growing food will help end the cycle of poverty for children all over the world by spearheading a Canadian initiative of adding agriculture to education. Nice to have you in studio. Thank you. And that was probably the best introduction I've heard in a long time. Okay, well, yeah. we can wrap in, it up in, now. in your voice, it just sounds so <laughs> professional. I love it. It's awesome. Oh, thank you. I'm glad that you're here because we've had a few chats on the phone mm-hmm. and you promised to come to Vancouver and sit in studio and here you are. I didn't know you had such a good view. If well, I had known that, I would have been here much earlier. Okay, well, you'll have to come back. The new show, Home to Win, starts April 24th? April 24th, and it's going to be very impressive. I mean, all of the top celebrities from HGTV doing one house together. And we all wow. joke about, yeah, it's got to have a good roof. Because What's the name drop? Hold a lot of ego in there. So we got Brian Baumler, we got Sarah Baumler, we got Sarah Richardson and Tommy and Mike Holmes and Mike Holmes Jr. and myself and Paula France. And like, wow. it is the who's who of design and construction and anybody in Canada is going to win this. Somebody in Canada is going to win this house. When you when you get all these TV celebrities in one room, do you ever like feel like dropping them and just duking it out? Well, <laughs> thankfully, I'm the biggest guy there, so <laughs> people kind of give me some space. Yeah. Uh, it is impressive, though. Um, there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of talent, but... You know, everybody's so professional about it. Like, mm. the, the egos have been in check. We've all been working together. It's, you know, it's sort of the dream team for home renovation. It's so popular what you do on television, but people still get this notion that you can get this done in an hour. Yeah. How, how, do, you, how do you dispel that? That's the hard part. And unfortunately, I, there's always this misconception when you see it in an hour show or even a half hour show that it's not going to take long. And, you know, it really is up to us to start changing that and start educating people a little bit better, which is why I'm actually doing these types of tours to get out and talk about really the reality of the outdoor space. And social media for me is one of the biggest misconceptions out there as far as you see all these great hacks and great ways to do, you know, gardening and landscaping. And some of them are good, but most of them are not things you really want to do, especially in a long-term situation. We're going to talk about hacks in a minute. Curb appeal though is so important when it comes to selling your home. As you know, Vancouver and Toronto, hot real estate markets. Does it matter, the curb appeal now? Is it as important as it was at one time when when things are selling just like that? Well, and it's true. Curb appeal is sort of you know, that first impression. But real estate agents, even in a hot market like Vancouver, specifically say that if you have good curb appeal, you can get actually up to 8% more value for your home. And when we're in situations where homes are going into bidding wars and you really want to put your best foot forward, even though you're probably going to get lots of money for your house, why wouldn't you want more? Mm -hmm. Like everybody wants to sell their house for the absolute maximum they can get. So investing a little bit of curb appeal just for that good first impression, so valuable even in a hot market. Tell me. How many times have you seen when somebody's cleaned up their yard, fixed it up a little bit, put a couple of grand or a few grand into it, a new front door, and then said, you know what, this is pretty cool, I'm going to keep it? Uh, Yeah, that does happen. Um, But more often than not, they do that really to sell the house. And they want to sell it. Most people don't really realize that in today's market, the outdoors has really become a feature of the house. And when you're living in a house, you just always think about just the indoors until you're at the point where you're looking to buy a new house. And it's at that point you start 
thinking about things like decks and patios, the curb appeal. Millennial generation has actually listed curb appeal as one of their top three reasons to buy a house, hmm. which blows me away. I mean, what And do, they are buying. They are buying. Yeah, even in this market, they're buying. They're getting a little help from mom and dad to sure. buy, but they're actually listing- hey, I'm still getting help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no comment on that. <laughs> but the, the truth is, I mean, it makes sense. What's the first thing a millennial does when they buy anything? They whip out the cell phone. They take a selfie right. of themselves, of course, standing in front of their yeah. beautiful new home so they can share with everybody. So when, when did these outdoor spaces become so important? It hasn't always been this way to as many people as it is now. Well, in the 80s and 90s, the baby boomer generation were big into gardening. In fact, gardening at the time was one of the top 10 hobbies across Canada, right up there with bird watching. And yeah, neither of those are really listed as huge hobbies anymore, which is really a change because Generation X said, you know, we're not really gardeners. We want outdoor kitchens. We want outdoor patios and pergolas. And, and you know, that's the type of way we're going to use our outdoor spaces. So all of a sudden, gardening, which was a fairly inexpensive hobby, believe it or not, compared to outdoor renovations, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden people started paying attention to these sixty-five, seventy-five, eighty-five thousand dollar investments that people are making in swimming pools, in patios. And then when that happened, it just changed the whole dichotomy of the outdoor uh, investments. One of the questions that we get a lot on the Home Discovery Show is when it comes to landscaping, gardening, or anything outdoors, including decks, for example, even as something as simple as deck maintenance, how do I start? Where, where do I I feel overwhelmed. I don't know where to begin. What, what do you say to, to that? Well, the truth is the internet in that situation is going to be your best friend. Like the reality is so many people go turn to the internet doing starting questions with how do I, and they use the internet as a problem solver. And yes, there's a lot of misinformation, but mm-hmm. we're now getting better at weeding through what's the right way and what's the wrong way. And what I like to do is I even look up stuff. And then I will go to a box store and say, this is what I've heard, or this is what I've learned from the internet. Is this the right solution? And then at least you're going in asking the right questions and you know what you're supposed to be saying to the experts who have actually been trained in this situation. Yeah, and then nobody wants to come off as being, oh, well, I'm not really sure, but I think I heard this or I saw that somewhere. You have come armed today with eight of the best garden hacks for the backyard or balcony starting now this spring. Absolutely. And again, we're, we're dispelling some of the, the bad hacks from the internet and showing you some of the good ones that you should be doing. And one of my favorites is over the internet over the last couple of years, everybody's been showing diaper filling. Now, I don't know if you've seen this one, but they take out the liner of the diaper and they add water to it and they say, oh, we can plant vegetables in this. Oh. Yeah. What's your opinion (laughs) of that one? I'll tell you straight up. I celebrated the day I stopped buying diapers. There you go. (laughs) Well. (laughs) I don't know if I want to go there, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, people start getting a little freaked out about this because you start thinking about diapers and thinking, oh, is this a pure thing that we can put plants into? The truth is the liner of a diaper is made of something called hydrogel. And it's the exact same stuff that florists use for cut flowers. It is perfectly safe. But Carson, how do you know that? I played with it. <laughs> I've actually ripped them apart and played with it and checked it out. The truth, though, if you live on a balcony or a condo in the, in the area and you want a lightweight solution so you don't have these heavy plants full of you know rock yeah. and gravel, uh, add the hydrogel. Put the hydrogel in the bottom just from a pack of diapers. It will expand. Put a little soil on top, plant your plants in it, and you've got something that's going to water all season long. I like that. Yeah, and it's lightweight, so it's easy for everybody to use. And especially here where we're expected to have another hot, dry summer. I know. 
and Scary. watering restrictions and, and people are a little bit should I start should I not because if I can't water it what good is it but it's true and if you use the hydrogel it holds more moisture in so when the water's available it'll hold it there for you another good hack along the same lines is don't use rocks in the bottom of your pot there's mm. just no point all you're doing is adding weight if you're in a windy situation maybe weight's good <laughs> okay. for you but for most of us you don't want weight in the bottom of the pot because you have to move it around instead put a coffee filter on the bottom Really? It does the exact same thing of providing the water spot to drain out without losing all of your soil and making a mess. In I fact, like that. yeah, it's super easy. Um, people were talking about adding coffee grounds into the soil. Don't do that. No. Don't do that one. Just the coffee filter. Coffee grounds acidify soil. And if you start adding too much, you can actually cause a real problem in your soil. Yeah. So you can do it in limited situations. If you get coffee grounds from maybe your local coffee shop, that's great. Don't go putting them in the bottom of a flower pot. Lots of people think they can put whatever they want. Whatever's left over, just throw it in the garden. Yeah, no, be careful about that because you can really change the composition of soil when you're doing that and you don't want to cause those types of problems. It was funny, actually, somebody suggested to me that they got chafer beetles because they were using composted soil and that attracted the beetles. That was their thought process. The truth is chafer beetles like Kentucky bluegrass and all the premium grass seeds that are sold in this area are Kentucky bluegrass Hello. because that's what we buy. So we've created a, a buffet for them. Are you aware of just how big a oh, problem yeah. it is here? I get emails from people in Vancouver all the time saying, help, what do I do? Yeah. The, the truth of the matter is there's not one chemical solution that's going to be safe for the environment actually work on those beetles. Yeah. Oh, you had to say yeah. safe for the, the safe. environment. Exactly. Because I do have a solution. Uh-oh. Dynamite. Yeah, well, that <laughs> that'll do it. It'll you take care of them. Create your own pond you, in the backyard. You'll, you'll probably annoy your neighbors. Exactly, but get exactly. Rid of the well, I, I've been telling everybody in Vancouver: go to the garden center, invest in fescue grass seed. Fescue. fescue. Spell that. F e s c u e. Okay, that's okay. Easy. Yeah, it's fescue. It's the stuff they use on golf courses. Mm. All of a sudden, we start paying attention to the fact that the golf courses don't have a ton of chafer beetles in them. But it wasn't the chemicals, it's the type of grass. Chafer beetles don't like fescue because it's full of endophytes. And endophytes are naturally occurring, nothing scary. They just don't like them. The bugs it's don't Dr. like them. Dr. Carson Arthur here this, uh, this morning. Know, solving all the problems. We're, we're coming close on time, but you and I have had this discussion in the past, but this notion of a perfectly manicured lawn, is that something best left in the last century? Well, it, and it is, and it becomes lifestyle appropriate, and, and I really try and drive the whole concept of, you know, you buy the right tools to do the right job, and, and I'm actually on tour with Black & Dacker talking about that specifically, about the right gardening tools to make your life easier. If you don't have time for a lawn, then you shouldn't have a lawn. Like, that's mm. sort of the end, the end result, and for years I've preached this whole say no to the grass, but really what I should have been saying, and I've revised my tune, is say no to the people who look after the grass the wrong way. If you yeah. do it properly, use the right tools, you, you're environmentally conscious about you know getting away from gas power and moving into cleaner battery systems and 40-volt systems that like the Black & Decker system uses. You, know, you, you make your life easier, but at the same time, you're more environmentally friendly doing it. What's new at Black & Decker these days? I'm so excited about the, uh, the cordless... Um, Cultivator. I'm doing the actions like yeah. people can see what I'm doing. Nobody the cultivator, yeah. <laughs> Nobody can see we'll, that. We'll put a YouTube video up. <laughs> <laughs> of me swinging my arms with a cultivator. So the cultivator is a handheld unit that actually goes in between the rows of vegetables. And everybody's talking about growing vegetables this yeah. year. It goes right perfectly between the rows, between your carrots and your tomatoes. And you can actually look after the yard, and it makes life so much easier. No yeah. more weeds. 
And you're a big proponent of growing your own food, aren't you? I am. I want backyards to give something back. And when we're, we're using them to be environmentally friendly, to give back to our families, to grow healthier food, I'm all for chickens. I have the honeybee. I'm like, <laughs> How many I'm chickens in. have you got now? Uh, I've got seven. Yes, I started with 10, but I do still have seven. I'm very proud of the fact that I still have seven. Somebody had lunch. Yeah, somebody had lunch, but I get seven eggs a day. So Do you? Yes. And Gosh, how are they? They're fantastic, yeah. worth every cent. Free range, organic, all that stuff? All of the above. Nice. Uh, we got to wrap up. Uh, I'm, will you come back? I would always come back. Yeah. For you, for sure. Next time you're in Vancouver. So we've got Critical Listing is on, running now yep. on HGTV. Home to win with this superstar cast. Uh, begins on April 24th, not long from now. No, it's going to be right around the corner, and it is going to be seriously the show to watch. Okay, year. and I will watch it. Yay! Carson Arthur is our in-studio guest on the Home Discovery Show. We'll talk again to you soon. We'll look forward to that. All the best. It's been fun talking to you. It's very nice to finally meet you in person. And we'll be right back on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, a little bit later in the, the program on the Home Discovery Show, as promised last week, we'll have a pair of tickets to give away to the Vancouver Special House Tour, which is coming up this Saturday, April 16th. More on that in just a few minutes. Egan Davis is an award-winning Red Seal horticulturalist as we keep this theme going this morning. His background is in private residential landscaping, greenhouse production, And uh, he's worked at well-known gardens such as Van Dusen Park in Tilford, the Mendel Floral Conservatory. Currently, he's the chief instructor for the horticulture training program at UBC Botanical Garden. He's joined us today for a spring gardening tune-up, and Egan has agreed to answer any questions you may have. So here's a chance. uh, It's about as good as it gets to get a Red Seal horticulturalist from UBC to answer your questions, our phone number for any of your gardening questions, 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898. If you're mobile right now, star 9898. Welcome, Egan. Thanks for having me on the show, Ian. It's great to have you here. Uh, always enjoy talking to you. We don't get enough time with you because you're you're busy with your instruction, you're busy with your own projects, uh, you're on call all the time, you work with uh, Bartlett Tree Experts and a whole bunch of others that are always calling upon you. Uh, how do you like spring so far? It's been one of the best springs I've ever had, and, and, and yes, I'm really busy, but I love it. And I think to myself, I've chosen to be this busy, and I wouldn't have it any other way. It's been a good spring. If the forecast that everyone expects to come true, and that is we'll have another really hot and dry summer, uh, read drought into that. Is there anything that we can do now to prepare for that? Absolutely. In fact, I was transplanting a hydrangea with some of the students last week, and the soil that we dug in, even though it rained quite significantly in March, was still powder dry. So you know what's going to happen if we didn't know that in the summer, that hydrangea would show signs of stress we wouldn't have known it was dry until it was too late. But right now what you can do is you can take a trowel or a shovel and probe in your garden and dig just to see if you can find the dry spots. And if you can get those dry spots moistened now before it heats up, then the plants won't be as stressed in July. What about trees? Same kind of thing? Same kind of thing. And actually trees, if you can get water on the trees deep to try to get water deep into the soil, that will really help them when when it gets hot and dry. Let me ask you something when it comes to, to trees and water hydration. From what I understand, it doesn't really do you much good to spray the leaves. You you really need to get the water deep down into the soil. 
Oh, absolutely. But in fact, with cedar hedges, it doesn't hurt actually to moisten the leaves. Cedar hedges will lose a lot of moisture through their leaves. And so one really good way to water a cedar hedge is to take a soaker hose and actually wrap it through the top part of the tree. Yeah, and that helps them through the summer heat. I think Sherry has a question about cedar as well. Hi there. I have some very large uh, 90-foot tall yellow cedars in my front yard. Um, We're going to establish some landscaping underneath of them. The main problem being drought, but I intend to put soaker hoses and drip out there. What kind of plants will will handle the acid or the the drip that seems to come from uh, the caustic drip that comes from the cedars? That sounds like... uh, The yellow cedars, that sounds great. Um, What you can put is... um, Epimedium or barrenwort is a terrific uh, garden plant that has flowers early in the spring that does really well under yellow cedars or red cedars. And ferns, uh, berberis, there's, there's quite a few plants actually that'll do quite well underneath those trees. And anything that's kind of tall and shrubby that can handle a that that I can hide the fence that's underneath of there? Yeah, Oregon grape is probably one of the best plants. Tall Oregon grape is one of the best you know, broadleaf evergreen, grow to about seven or eight feet tall. Oregon grape. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, Sherry. Thank you for calling 604-280-9898 or star 9898. We're talking to Egan Davis, Red Seal horticulturalist with UBC. He's the chief instructor at the horticulture training program. Deciduous shrubs, is this the time now to... Now, I know that you're not a big guy on fertilizer or you don't like to use chemicals, and, and we like that of you. Uh, what to do with them now, though? We have to do something, right? If uh, you've got some deciduous shrubs that have flowered early in the spring, and forsythia would be a really common plant that many people have, you can prune it now to encourage new shoots and uh, rejuvenate the shrub for next year. So what you do is you prune out one-third of the oldest shoots right at the base. Take your loppers and cut them out right at the base. And do it in a balanced way so that the plant is thinned evenly, not not creating big holes on one side or the other. Uh, I hope this isn't too... too dumb of a question, but <laughs> how much how much of the sunlight should dictate the way you prune? In other words, do you prune to the sun, or does that not weigh into it? That doesn't weigh into it. When you're pruning, first thing you want to know is you have to understand the reason for why you're pruning. A lot of times people feel like they need to prune something. The question is, when do I prune rhododendrons? And then my first question is, why are you pruning your rhododendrons? Or why do you have rhododendrons? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I have one that I'm, I'm not fond of. Okay. Well, then you prune it with a shovel. It's out of control is what I'm saying. It's got a mind of its own. I'm telling you, it's got arms and feet, but it won't run away. Actually, you know what you could do, Ian, with that rhododendron? If you cut it down really, uh, some shrubs, if they're too big, if you cut them down really hard, like to a foot from the ground, they'll explode with growth and over a couple of years be a nice size again. Hi, Linda. Linda? Hello. Hi, go ahead to Egan Davis. Yeah, oh, hi, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering, I have a few, I live in a, a townhouse, so I have a few trees that I have planted in, in fairly large pots, but now the pots are starting to feel quite solid, probably with uh, root, uh, roots. And I'm wondering the best way for me to sort of uh, give them some nutrition. I, I try sort of digging in and replacing it the last couple of years, but there's, it's so solid that I can't. Is there any... Any way that you can deal with that other than <laughs> hiring someone to come and take the, the tree out and replace the whole thing? Yeah, you know what you could do is take a serrated bread knife and cut a perimeter around the outside so that you've got a few inches for some fresh soil. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I've tried that. It's, it's, it seems quite solid, but that's the best way thing to do is just keep doing that uh, each year, eh? Just cut around the edges. Mm-hmm. Or use a saw that you never want to use for cutting anything else again. I hope that works for you, Linda. Keep at it. Thank you for calling. Our phone number is 604-280-9898, star 9898 if you're mobile. Erica, stay with us. You're next. We do have to take a break, and we'll come right back with Egan Davis, UBC Red Seal horticulturalist on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, as always, in studio with us. And our guest this morning is Egan Davis, an award-winning Red Seal horticulturalist. He's a chief instructor for the horticulture training program at UBC Botanical Garden, now accepting applications, by the way. And I want to talk about that a little bit later. We will... We'll we'll be in trouble if we don't talk about the European Schaefer beetle, which I promise to do as well. But we uh, ask for phone calls, Egan, because I think that's when you're really in your element, when people try to catch you off guard. (laughs) 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you're mobile and Erica is on the line. Good morning to you. Good morning, and good morning, Mr. Davis. Um, It's a perfect day for transplanting today. It's cool and just before a rain. And my question to you is, you were speaking about hydrangeas earlier, mm-hmm. and I know that you can change the colors for, uh, of hydrangeas from red to blue and, and anywhere in between. Now, I've changed mine to red by using roto food, but could you elaborate on this? What that is, is the hydrangea, the, the color blue is aluminum in the flowers, and that aluminum becomes available when the soil's acidic. So if you can raise the pH by typically by adding lime, and the pH um, gets uh, more alkaline, then the flowers can uh, be either blue to blue pink or, or more pink. So it's the pH. It's like litmus paper. That's all you need to know, and I think you're in business, Erica. Um, Laura's on the line. Just one sec, Laura. Just let me uh, ask you about uh, your tour on April 21st, Earth Day, of course, and you're doing an evening tour, past, present, and future of our uh, the garden tour with Tara Morrow. Mm-hmm. Is that at UBC? That's at the UBC Botanical Garden, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, Tara's uh, got so much enthusiasm and energy and very passionate about food security and, and what the future of this planet looks like. And so we're going to look at what's been happening over the last 100 years and where we're going, and it's very exciting. I just want to, and thank you for bringing that up, because it gives me an opportunity to let you know that what's coming up next hour on Vancouver Consumer, we are going to talk about that uh, in one of our segments, uh, that very topic, and the topic of food security and how some lands in the AR, uh, in the Agricultural Land Reserve, ALR, mm-hmm. are being bought up by speculators, thinking that mm-hmm. this land might be developed. But we'll get into that next hour. Uh, Laura's on the line, and she's been very patient. Thank you. Go ahead to Egan Davis. Laura? We have a Lori. Okay, maybe it's Lori. That's that's not what it says on my screen, so forgive me. Oh, that's all right. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. Good morning. I have a question. I um, planted some chestnut seeds. I have three of them in, uh, like, in totes, and I was hoping to one day buy a house, and they're still in the totes, and I'm still renting, and now the, the totes that they're in, they're bursting. I don't want to cut down the trees and I can't really lift them. So I don't know. I've tried building the city. No one will take them. And I don't know whether I should just cut open the plastic totes they're in because they're like 16 feet tall now. Wow. 
Yeah, wow, oh. is right. Mm. They're so beautiful. Like they're they're healthy, and whether I should just, I don't know, build something around them and and cut open the plastic or what to do because I really don't want to cut them down. Wait until next winter if you can, then cut the totes open and shake all the soil off the roots, and, and you can handle them bare-rooted in the wintertime, and then somebody can take them. They won't be so heavy. Okay. Thanks, That's Lori. It. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Sorry uh, for messing up your name there at the beginning. I didn't mean to do that, but uh, that can happen from time to time. Linda, how are you? Good morning. Yeah, Go ahead, please. Um, I live in a rancher uh, next to ALR land, have a beautiful view of the Golden Ears Mountains, and my deck is rotten. Um, and I want to, as you spoke of earlier, um, the increase in or the desire for nicer outdoor living. Um, I, I need some help in designing this backyard and the new decks and that kind of thing. Do you have, um, where can I go for that kind of thing? I have a limited budget to spend on on the whole project, so I know it would be wonderful to hire a designer, but I, I don't think I have the funds for that. What what else would you suggest? We're going to let Steve answer that. One of the best things you can do, Linda, is, is, is hit the good old internet, but, but be really scrutinizing as far as what you're looking at because of, of cost. Consider geographical locations as to what's available, but at least get some ideas as to find out what you want to look like. What do you want to do in this deck? Do you want to just sit there after dinner and have a glass of wine? Do you want to entertain? Do you want some sort of covering on it? What's Do you want to get four seasons out of this deck? And be realistic of what kind of budget you want to invest in there and get some ideas. Then you can go towards someone who is a professional designer or a contractor who can put together a proposal for you. That's a good idea. I think what Steve is saying, uh, if I can elaborate on that for just a second, but by using the internet, you get an idea as to what you want to do. And then you go to a contractor to see you know, what is realistic within your budget. And you'd be surprised. That, uh, the one thing about gardening, Egan, I, I hope that you'll agree, is that you don't really need an awful lot of money. You can spend thousands upon thousands, but you can also spend a couple of hundred and be very effective. Now, in her case, where she needs a new deck, she's looking at a, a slightly bigger project. But money isn't always the driving factor when it comes to landscaping. Absolutely. I always say it's not what you use, it's how you use it. So the you can accomplish the same idea with spending less money sometimes. Appreciate your call, Linda. Uh, we have to take a break, and we'll come back with more calls at 604-280-9898, star 9898 if you're mobile. Egan Davis is with us. He is the uh, chief instructor with the UBC Horticultural Training Program. And we'll be back after this on News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, and our guest Egan Davis, a Red Seal horticulturalist with UBC. Last week, you may recall, we spoke to Judith Mosley of the Vancouver Heritage Foundation and Julie Lepper, an interior designer who also happens to have a, a rare duplex Vancouver special. The Vancouver special tour is coming up, and uh, they want to arrange to have a Home Discovery Show listener on their guest list. A chance to explore Vancouver's familiar housing styles from the 1950s and onward. The Vancouver Special House Tour is this Saturday, April 16th, from 1 till 5. Tickets are on sale for $30, $23 if you have valid student ID. Back for its eighth year, a tour that gives you the chance to explore some of Vancouver's early housing styles, especially the types of houses that many of us grew up in. All have been nicely modernized, including a very early Vancouver special with several design features that capture the mid-century 
funk, if you will. Also open, a mid-century bungalow, 1950s-era split level, both renovated to fit the modern lifestyle. The tours can be quite inspiring and a really a great way to spend an afternoon. Tickets and details at VancouverHeritageFoundation.com. VancouverHeritageFoundation.org. Pardon me. I'll say that one more time. VancouverHeritageFoundation.org. So if yours is the 16th email we receive with special in the subject line, We'll arrange for you to pick up a pair of tickets from the Vancouver Heritage Foundation for the tour. In the email, be sure to include your full name, city, and phone number. Email home discovery show, one word, home discovery show at gmail.com. And good luck to you. Back to Egan Davis. Um, and before we get to the phones, because if we let you out of here before we ask you about the European Schaefer Beetle, <laughs> we'll be in trouble. What to do? Everybody seems to have a theory. Uh, you were suggesting uh, during the break that we might just be in a cycle. Maybe they will go away naturally. Uh, do you really believe that, or is there something we can do to be more proactive? Because it's just ugly what they've done to our lawns. Yeah, and it's it hasn't uh, gotten better in the last few years. Will they go away? I don't know. Maybe one day their population will crash. But there's some easy things that you can do. The best thing that everybody can do is cut your grass a little longer in the summer. The females lay their eggs in the grass, and if the grass is really short or really thin, then they can easily do that. But if you let your grass grow a little longer... That is one easy way to try to prevent uh, the females from laying the eggs. Now, some people would suggest, as our last guest did, Carson Arthur, that some grass is better than others when it comes mm -hmm. to the, the Schaefer beetle. Absolutely. Kentucky blue and perennial rye, those are the grasses that are often used in our lawns, and they actually prefer water and they like to be fertilized. And when they go dormant, they get really thin, and in the summertime, the females can easily lay their eggs. Fescues are a better alternative, and at UBC Botanical Garden right now, we are experimenting with our great lawn with fescues, and we've seeded micro clover and yarrow. So the micro clover is a short white clover that doesn't produce as many flowers, and the yarrow, uh, both of these plants are things that as a landscaper, I pulled out as weeds years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, and so I'm putting the weeds back in the lawn, but the idea is to try to build a mixed plant community with broadleaf plants and grasses. Nice. Mm-hmm. So you can get ahead of it. Just like weeding in itself, the, when it comes to any kind of a problem in your lawn, whether it be Schaefer beetles or weeds, the best thing is to try as early as possible to get in front of it. Absolutely. And with grass, if your grass is healthy, the roots are deep and the grass blades are long, then Schaefer beetle is actually not a problem. Good morning, Lisa. Yes, I'm here. Yes, thank you for answering my call. You bet. Yeah. Um... I bought one about one foot tall of the rose uh, in Costco, about 30 inch wide, and uh, my boyfriend put on the pot. The way she put on the ground or better on the pot. I'd say get rid of the boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's <laughs> a joke. So she put on the ground, isn't it? You can grow any plant. You can grow a rose in the ground or in a pot. It really is up to you. It, it will be easier to look after that plant in the ground. In a container, you have to be more careful about watering, and then ultimately the plant will need nutrient and fertilizer in a container. Thanks so much, Lisa. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Go ahead to Egan Davis. Yeah, good morning, Egan. I've got uh, my two main crops are uh, potatoes and garlic, and I'm wondering about crop rotation and what I can do to to mitigate or get to 
uh, mitigate potential problems with companion planting in those areas. It's a very good idea to rotate uh, uh, potato plantings and, and, and everything that you grow. At the Botanical Garden, we never grow the same plant in the same bed two years in a row. So crop rotation is a very good idea. And also uh, adding plants that have flowers into your vegetable garden are a very good e- a way to deal with insect pests. Because then that attracts other insects that eat things like aphids and cabbage moth larvae, things like that. So very good idea to add flowers to your vegetable garden. Appreciate that. Joan, you're on. Are you there, Joan? Oh, hi. Sorry. Um, could you tell me how to get rid of horsetail? Ah, how to get rid of horsetail? You yeah, won't be able to do that. But you know what you should do? Plant something taller than horsetail. So if the horsetail's, you know, a foot, foot and a half tall, plant a ground cover, a shrubby ground cover that's knee height. And so just look on the internet for plants that grow two to three feet tall, and the horsetail will live, but you'll never see it again. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we're moving into a rental duplex, and I just noticed uh, when I'm taking some stuff over that the gardens are just full of horsetails. So yeah, it's thought, tough. Oh. It's tough. I mean, and you can try to dig it, but you spend a lot of time, and you'll never get rid of it. So. Which, uh, what is a horsetail? Horsetail is an old, old, like, ancient plant, and it is. Uh, it doesn't actually outcompete plants for nutrients. Um, what does it look like? It's uh, green spikes that have tiered, small, spiny leaves. You'd recognize it if you saw it. Okay. Hope that helps, Joan. Carol. Hi. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to know if it's possible to move rose bushes at this time of year. It's a little bit late for moving rose bushes because they started to leaf out. Having said that, we moved some last week at the program. We transplanted a few roses. And if you're in Vancouver, like an earlier caller said, it's very good time right now because it's cool today and it'll rain for the next few days. So my, uh, go for it. Be, be brave. Take a risk. <laughs> Thank you very much. You got Egan's permission. So if, <laughs> yeah. you, if you have any trouble, you know where to find him. I do, and I'll be after him. Okay, thanks a lot, Carol. <laughs> good morning, Lisa. Um, I have a one cherry tree. I have a huge, big pink cherry tree in front. My back door, back garden, have a cherry tree blooming out of a flower before I don't have that flower. This is cherry trees for eating cherry tree. They, they bloom the white flowers. We never eat cherry because squirrels eat them all. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's all white flowers. Is that, that has happened uh, become the, before we don't have the white flower? Was it a young tree? If sometimes when when plants are young, they'll they'll grow for a few years, and then when they start to get older, the juvenile growth will slow down. Oh, they'll start it's making flowers. Yes, and anyway, the cherry must be a uh, school uh, put something in the front. So beside my pink cherry tree, there's a white cherry tree there, but this is a different cherry tree, right? Yeah, there's many different kinds, and you're lucky to have more than one kind. We're going to have to leave it there because we have to take a break. That's what the clock says. That's what Sabrina says, and I always listen to Sabrina. She's in control here flying this thing. Uh, We'll come back with Egan Davis from UBC in just a moment on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power back with you. Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, is here with us, as is Egan Davis. Egan Davis is the chief instructor for the horticulture training program at UBC Botanical Garden. He's a Red Seal horticulturalist. He's uh, traveled the world looking and working and studying gardening. The uh, horticulture training program at UBC is having an information session on April 20th, not long from now, from 6 until 7 o'clock. Uh, applications are open uh, for the program until August 29th. 
The UBC Horticulture Training Program is a designated training provider of landscape horticulturalists, level one and level two, and the program is endorsed by Hort Education BC. What does it take for someone to get into your program? And and more importantly, perhaps, who are you looking for? You know, Ian, that's a good question. I would love to spend, you know, eight months in a program of people who just love gardens, love plants, want to be there for the right reasons. Okay. And is it an expensive program? I think it's very good value. It's a full-time immersion in horticulture. And you show up in September, every day you eat, breathe, and sleep horticulture. And I'll be there with you the whole time. I think it's very good value. Yeah. How do you feel about the rain? I love the rain. I really do. <laughs> you know, it's comforting for me. And if you, that's another, uh, you know, answer to your earlier question. If you don't like the rain, then don't sign up for the program. <laughs> this is not, not a good program it's for you. not a good career for you if you don't like the rain. <laughs> now, now tell me, Egan, uh, I, I've been lucky to know you for a couple of years now. This program is going into its fifth year? It's going into its fifth year. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's, and it's just getting better and better and better. It's a very exciting time for, for me and for the garden. We're really, really doing a good job job developing this thing. The people who graduate or come out successfully from the horticulture training program at UBC Botanical, what, where do they go from there? A variety of places, and we make sure that we expose them to every facet of horticulture, but some start their own businesses, some work for municipalities, some people go into arboriculture, nursery, greenhouse, so you name it, if it has something to do with plants, the, there's a career there for you. And is there a career in, uh, and, and I know this sounds a, a little silly, but is there a career for horticulture now? Uh, are, are people hiring out for landscapers or horticulturalists? Uh, uh, where might the, the services be needed most? Oh, absolutely. I, I do private work on the side, and I was just uh, out for dinner with a bunch of other people who do the same. And we all agreed there is so much work out there, and there is a niche for everybody. So you find your niche, and you develop your style, and, and nobody can do what you do. You know, So there's work for everybody. It's great. Now, when it comes to landscaping, and, and you're a horticulturist, which means you, you primarily you work with plant life, and uh, we understand that. But how does that extend beyond uh, the the plants themselves into landscape? And Mm -hmm. is this something you just pick up through experience, or do you need some kind of architectural or design uh, study to to complement the field? Well, we teach uh, garden design and landscaping. We teach hard landscape construction at UBC. And that's actually where my biggest passion is, is building. I feel like I was put on this earth to build gardens. And you take all the plants You're kind of like Fred Flintstone a little bit, aren't you? (laughs) Oh, man, the the amount of rock-moving boulders. Moving, I've done this year absolutely, but you you should be able to take all the plants out of a garden, and a garden should look beautiful based on the design of the space. Okay. And and actually, I learned that from a landscaper I worked with years ago. And I said, "Oh, it'll be better when we plant it." And he just looked at me and said, "No, no, no, no. It has to look good without plants." And That's that interesting with me. So yeah. when you're thinking about perhaps uh, as we had a call earlier, thinking yeah. about perhaps doing a deck or some mm-hmm. form of deck, and then landscaping, should that be? The, the beginning point, what is this going to look like without any plant Oh, absolutely. Life? A lot of times when people are thinking about building a garden, they go to the nursery and buy plants and buy the plants. But before you do, build the garden, right? And and like had Steve had mentioned, functionality of the space is really important. And then also the big picture design, like the lines that you create and how those lines reflect the architecture in the home and, and the balance of the negative and the positive space. Like this is really, really important stuff. You I know. would think the other consideration would have to be, or at least should be, is maintenance. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's easy to create big spaces. Simplicity, if you want something low maintenance, keep it simple. Yeah. 
And uh, then you get into the whole area of uh, mixing colors and, mm-hmm. and different plants that will agree with one another because not all plants, just like humans, necessarily get along. Absolutely. <laughs> and and then they yeah. have to get along with the other creatures of nature, mm-hmm. our insect friends, our, our feathered friends, and our furry friends, and our not-so-friendly friends that are lurking about our gardens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to mention, Egan, uh, with the UBC Botanical Garden, it is open for daily tours, 9.30 till 5. Uh, the drop-in tours are Fridays and Saturdays at 12.30, a free admission for garden members and UBC students, staff, and faculty. And the other thing that's always intrigued me, and I, I would love to do this, I don't know if you have anything to do with it or if you have any pull, is the Segway tours of the garden. That's, that's going to be a blast. Oh, people love it. People, yeah. We've been doing that the last couple of years, and and it's just really a fun way to get around the garden and you know have fun playing with the Segway, too. Thanks for dropping by. Thanks, Ian. you come again? Oh, absolutely. I Egan Davis is the chief instructor for the UBC uh, Horticultural Program at the Botanical Garden. My thanks to him, to Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, and to Sabrina Ali, our technical producer. My name is Ian Power. Stay with us. Vancouver Consumer is next on News Talk 980 CKNW.